Good morning to everyone. How is everyone today? Come on, Nicole gets whoop whoops. I get nothing. There we go. Okay, now I got some whoop whoop. Oh, sorry. It's not tithes and offerings time. That's right. That's right. Uh, Well, welcome to Boomerang this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us uh, via live stream this morning. Uh, We're going to do the class coffee and conversate this morning. The lesson is what happens when a Christian sins. So before we get started, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for fathers everywhere. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives, Lord. Thank you for guiding us gently on the path. We thank you for all of those blessings. May the words spoken today, Lord, during this class and during the main service at 11 be hearty seeds that are planted in our heart, Lord. May they manifest beautiful fruit for you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this has been a really interesting uh, lesson for me. I've actually been out of town on vacation for the last 10 days, and I took this lesson with me. It was a really uh, refreshing um, study to read while I was gone. So I'm going to start. Today we want to look at the subject of what happens when a Christian sins. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Christians, we will eventually stumble and we will eventually sin. What makes us different? Thank you, Barrett. What makes us different from what we were before conversion is that now we have a new nature. It grieves us to sin. We don't want to sin. We want to live a righteous life. But what happens when we do sin? Do we need to get saved again? Is that what the Bible is teaching? In that case, we have no security. And in some sense, we're worse off than the world. At least the world is not tormented by a sin conscience. As believers, sin is not to be our focus of attention. Hebrews 10.2 states that through the sacrifice of Jesus, the believer should have no more conscience of sins. In other words, sin should not be the focus of our lives. God should be the focus of our lives. So as I read that scripture, Hebrews 10.2, I went back to the Bible. Um, I think the more that I grow in my relationship with Christ, the more I realize reading in context is helpful. So I actually want to read for you Hebrews 10. Uh, verses 1 through 18, just to give you the context around this one simple verse, Hebrews 10, 2. So Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why, when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. 
you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was, with, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sin has been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So if we go back to Hebrews 10.2, it says, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. So as we move on, in Romans 4.2, it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. If salvation was based on our merit, the things we do, then we could brag. We could say, hey, Lord, I really appreciate what you did on the cross, but remember the things I've done. So throughout eternity, we're going to pat Jesus on the back and pat ourselves on the back for the things that we've done. No. God has designed salvation in such a way that there will be no boasting or glory on man's part. The only glory and boasting will be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.27. The gift of eternal life is indeed a gift, and it cannot be earned. Romans 6.23. So Romans 4.2 says that if Abraham were justified by his own actions, he would have some reason to boast, but that's not what happened. How does the scripture say that a man is saved? By his own performance? By his own works? By the things he does? Nope, nope, nope. How does Abraham, how was Abraham counted righteous or declared righteous? Was it through the things he did or didn't do? Or was it that he simply believed, trusted, and relied on God through faith? The Bible says in Romans 4.3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What holds me in position and keeps me from perishing, even though there are times when I fail and sin? Is it that Jesus bore all of my sin on the cross, and through faith in him, not by my own works, I am justified or made right before God? Romans 4.6 says, even as David also describeth the bless, blessedness of man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. David of the Old Testament is saying 
There will be a day through a new covenant when God will impute righteousness, right standing, without man working for it. Then he said in verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. This is the clincher. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It doesn't say he might not. Sometimes he will and sometimes he won't. It says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. In the Greek, that's what's called an emphatic negative. It's not a double negative. It's an emphatic negative. An emphatic negative is a double negative that actually adds emphasis. It means he'll never, not ever, put sin into our account. This is the good news of the new covenant. Hebrews 10.16 says, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will, will I write them, into their minds will I write them. And part of that agreement is that God says this in verse 17, and your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. What holds you in position in righteousness and right standing, even when you sin and don't have time to confess it? It's your faith in Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus, and he saves people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. So this has been a really interesting lesson for me, and <clears throat> I actually, I was telling Nicole this morning, I was hungry to know more about this, right? Because I personally, I grew up Catholic, and in the Catholic religion, they sort of operate and function a little bit differently, right? There's a lot of confession in front of a priest. There's a lot of, um, say, this many Hail Marys and this many... Uh, rosaries or this many Our Fathers, and so it almost felt like a payment. So I really wanted to better understand what this meant. Interestingly, while I was on vacation, I get um, Womack's daily devotional, and um, the one that came up, I think it was on Thursday, actually spoke to this lesson. So I'm going to give you some of the additional research that I did before we get into the Q&A, because I think it really is helpful and adds a lot more context. It rounds it out a little bit. So John 8, 39 through 47. All of us were born in sin and were therefore by nature the children of the devil. That's the reason we sinned. Our sins don't corrupt our nature, but our corrupt nature makes us sin. That's why we must be born again and become new creatures or a new creation in Christ. The scriptures teach that everyone was born with a sin nature or old man. For the Christian, the old man is dead. We do not have a nature that is driving us to sin. If that were the case, then why do we seem so bound to sin even after we experience the new birth? The reason is that our old man left behind what Romans 6.6 calls a body or a flesh, right? Brian's been preaching a lot about the flesh. Just as a person's spirit and soul leave behind a physical body at death, so our old man left behind habits and strongholds in our thoughts and emotions. The reason a Christian tends to sin is because of an unrenewed mind. Has anyone heard that before? Brian's got a whole Wednesday series on um, the three-part man. So the reason a Christian tends to sin is because of an unrenewed mind, not because of a sin nature. Our old man ruled our thinking before we were born again. He taught us such things as selfishness, hatred, and fear, and he placed within us the desire to sin. The old man is now gone. 
but these negative parts of his body remain. Until renewed, our minds continue to lead us on the course that our old man charted. To experience the resurrection life of Jesus, we have to know that our old man is dead. Then, through the renewing of our minds, we destroy the body that the old man left behind. The end result is that we will not serve sin any longer. Now, in some additional research that I did, I really still didn't feel like I, I had my head all the way wrapped around it. I got it that we, we cast off the flesh when we accept Christ, and that our job then is to focus our attention on the spirit man within us and not our flesh mind, right, that's been driving us most of our life. But then I found this, this one commentary, and I thought it was really important, or really, it certainly spoke to me. So there are really two relationships we sort of have with God. One is positional and one is relational. And when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, that sets our position. We have a new position with God. We become his child. It's as if we become, in fact we do become, a member of his family. When a child is born to a father, that child is going to be that father's child for their whole life, right? the same thing. We're in position. So positional, all of our sins are forgiven positionally, and the moment we receive Christ, the moment we receive Christ as Savior, the positional forgiveness guarantees our salvation and promise of an eternal home in heaven. When we stand before God after death, God will not deny us entrance into heaven because of our sins. This is positional forgiveness. So when we accept Christ, we take a new position. A relational, though, is different in that the concept of relational forgiveness is based on the fact that when we sin, we offend God and grieve his spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Guaranteeing. So while God has ultimately forgiven us of the sins we commit, they still result in a blocking or hindrance in our relationship with God. A young child who sins against his father is not cast out of the family. A godly father will forgive his children unconditionally. At the same time, a good relationship between father and son cannot be achieved until the relationship is restored. This can only occur when a child confesses his mistakes to his father and apologizes. That is why we confess our sins to God, not to maintain our salvation, but to bring ourselves back into close relationship with the God who loves us and has already forgiven us. I thought that was huge. So our salvation is positional. It positions us as children of God. But now, as a Christian, if we sin, it's more about our relationship or our fellowship with God and making that right. So when we make a mistake, it's not that we should focus on the stumble, it's that we should focus on the face of God, which is different for me. Because as I was growing up, and, a, and first a Christian, I think I focused more on my mistake. How could he ever forgive me? Can I say enough Hail Marys to be forgiven? Am I still going to get in heaven? How many rosaries am I going to have to say for this sin? And there were actually times in my life when I sinned, and I wasn't ready to ask for forgiveness. But I still knew my father loved me. I still knew where my place was, right? And my gentle heavenly father would nudge me and say, 
Are you going to ask forgiveness? Are you going to ask for forgiveness? Are you going to make us right again? Because we're still not right yet. And it took a couple nudgings before I realized I needed to humbly confess my sin. And my relationship with God was renewed. But I had to remove that barrier. I had put that in place because of, because of my sin. So then interestingly um, as well, this has been a really interesting week for this study because I'm also preparing to go away to a training conference in Chapel Hill this coming week. And it's talking about the class is going to teach us how to be better facilitative leaders, how to facilitate a group of people from um, not knowing what they're going to do through to decision and action. And the first definition on the prep uh, homework was the definition of practice. And the definition of practice is a repeated action or behavior that leads to proficiency and high performance. How many of us practice? Any number of things, right? Some of us practice cooking. Some of us practice gardening. Some of us practice at a sport. Some of us practice running. Um, some of us practice being a couch potato, right? We all practice. <clears throat> but the key word that stuck out to me in this definition is repeated. 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 Are we proficient in our faith or act and speak in love without practice? Nope, we don't. Does a renewed mind happen instantly upon accepting Jesus? Nope. Will we continue to sin? Yep, because we have a flesh to contend with. We have an old man we need to put down. But does our desire to please our Father push us to keep practicing our faith and repeatedly and continuously improving our behavior, words and actions, in an effort to renew our minds to the Spirit while we leave the flesh world behind? Absolutely. So will I stumble? Yep. Am I still a child of God? Yes. But my focus is now not on my stumbles, but on the face of God. So if you sin, turn from your sin. Don't try to turn God's grace into a license to continue your sin. And do not try to cover up your sin. For he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And after you've confessed and repented of your sin, trust, that, trust God to give you the grace and strength to overcome it in the, in the future. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law. You are under grace. So, we're going to do a little Q&A, so I need some volunteers. Who wants to be my first volunteer? Jeff? Praise God. Stephen, will you be my second volunteer? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so, Jeffrey, would you please come up here? I'm going to have you read Romans 4-5. Romans 4, 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So the question is, God justifies people who are what? Faithful. No. God justifies, repeat the question again. God justifies people who are what? Oh, uh, ungodly. That's right. And sinners. Sorry. Absolutely. That's who he justifies. Perfect. Stephen. <laughs> All right. Will you please read Romans 4, 2, and 3? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God put something to Abraham's account which he did not have before. What was this? Righteousness. Absolutely. So then we'll have you read Romans 4, 22 through 24. Therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So in the first question I asked you about God putting something to Abraham's account, and now with this question, if we believe as Abraham did, what will God put in our account? That same righteousness. Absolutely, yes. Thank you. <laughs> George, will you please join me? Will you please read Romans 4, 6? Oh, I gotta go back and find the question. Okay, go ahead. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Okay, so here's the question. It's multiple choice. You ready? It's really easy. A. <laughs> no, you're supposed to always answer C. So I didn't do too well. No, that's all right. So here's the question. God puts righteousness to a person's account, A, according to their works, B, apart from their works, or C, according to how nice they are. D? No. <laughs> B, apart from their works. B, apart from their works. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, Barrett, you're next. Okay. I want you to read Romans 5.17. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Hebrews 10.14. My apologies, Abigail. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So how long are believers perfected before God? Forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah, for all time. Good. Perfect. Jimmy. Can you please read Romans 5.17? For if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. All right. So question six, multiple choice again. Are you ready? Okay. okay. So righteousness is received, A, by earning it, B, as a gift, C, by working for it. As a gift. Absolutely. And what does the word gift imply it's freely given to you absolutely at no cost because he paid for it that's right absolutely all right last question brian you want to come up and answer a question it's a multiple choice question <laughs> oh man to trust jesus to be your personal savior, you must trust him to take you all the way to A, church, B, heaven, or C, Russia. Do you know the answer? Do, 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 do. Be heaven. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. Do what? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. Amen. True, true. That's the end of the lesson. Hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> um, you know, I really feel impressed not only at the end of this service and particularly with this lesson, but also in going into our service is that we need to receive forgiveness uh, from the Father right now and to release all of that condemnation, not just right now in us personally, uh, but I think that's something to take into the service as well, really to open up and in worship receive his forgiveness. So let's just, let's just receive all of the promises that you just talked about right now personally. So just forget about the person sitting next to you right now. It's you and God. And so, Lord, right now, we just thank you. Lord, definitely, we have messed up at different times. It's not something where you're sitting there uh, so mad at us and angry at us. Lord, you forgive the ungodly. Mm. You give us the gift of righteousness, something that, that doesn't cost us, that we didn't earn, that we didn't pay for. It's a gift to the ungodly and times lord when we have been ungodly where your holy spirit has sealed us in our in our new life yet we've still been ungodly because of the remnants of an old man lord we release that right now and we receive your forgiveness we receive your repentance that you've given to us. We receive that. We walk into it, Lord, the ability to repent to a Father who loves us. Lord, right now, we just, in that repentance, we ask for your forgiveness. Mm. Lord, th thank you for your forgiveness. We ask you for it. Father, please forgive us, knowing that before we even get the words out of our mouth, the answer to our heart's cry is, you're forgiven. And I'll remember it no more. And Lord, we receive that by faith right now. We just receive your love. We receive your blessing. Lord, we let all the junk of the world, all the condemnation of the devil fall off as your children so that we can walk in the fullness of who you've called us to be. Lord, we recognize that without having understanding of this lesson, that the devil pours on pressure. He pours on all the guiltiness, all the, all the self-consciousness of sin, Lord. And, and all of a sudden, we are not operating where we should be. Lord, we need freedom. And right now we repent, not repent just to go back to it, but we repent and we say, this is not happening again. We're changing. We're turning a new direction, and it, Lord, this is a real choice, not just a flippant one. And we receive everything that you've promised us, every gift, freedom right now be in the lives. Your word says, whosoever sins you remit, they will be remitted. And so in Jesus' name, speaking on behalf of the heart of a father, your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you at the 11 o'clock service.